Today we're going to continue our study on the canon of Scripture, the Word of God. Um, and today we're going to look at the proofs of inspiration. And there are several proofs as to the fact that the Bible is indeed inspired. And these include, and I'm going to go through these one at a time, the Bible itself speaks of its own inspiration, its indestructibility, its transmission, fulfilled prophecy, scientific accuracy, history, and the lives that have been transformed by it. So let's first look at what the Bible says about itself. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16, all scripture is inspired. That word inspired, God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. As a matter of fact, the term thus says the Lord is found over 3,800 times in the word of God itself. So the Bible claims to be inspired. If it's not, then the Bible obviously is not inspired. If it is found that it is not, it is not inspired. The Bible itself claims to be inspired. And of course, men for centuries have been trying to find problems with the Bible. I had a professor tell me one time, if you think you found a mistake in the Bible, then you are mistaken. And then also another proof of the inspiration of the word of God is its indestructibility. It's indestructibility. It has survived throughout the centuries in spite of all events to the contrary. For example, the Roman emperor, Diocletian made a decree that all Bibles were to be destroyed in 303 AD. Now, his reasoning was simply that if Christians were indeed people of the book, once the book was removed, the Christians would cease to exist. He even went so far as to raise a pillar to his success. And it said, extincto nomine Christianorum, which means the name Christian is extinguished. Ironically, only 25 years later, the new Roman emperor, Constantine, commissioned 50 copies of the Bible to be prepared at the government's expense. <laughs> also, Voltaire, the French infidel, once said that in 100 years from his time, Christianity would be a thing of the past and that the only Bible left on earth would be in a museum. <laughs> As a God-hater, he despised the Bible. He was sorely mistaken, just like Diocletian. The Bible today is still the number one bestseller of all times. Uh, Josh McDowell um refers to these things as historic irony. <laughs> he made a quote that we might as well put our shoulder to the burning wheel of the sun and try to stop it on its flaming course as attempt to stop the circulation of the Bible. Isn't that hard to believe that even today, as many Bible haters in the secular progressive world that we live in, that doesn't want anything to do with Christianity, and yet the Bible is still the number one selling book in the world. So the Bible <clears throat> speaks of its own indestructibility. 
in Isaiah chapter 40, verse number eight, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. It's indestructible. Also in Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. There's also other scriptures that we can take a look at that speak of the indestructibility of the word of God. For example, in Isaiah chapter number 55, Isaiah 55 and verse number 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I please and it will prosper in the thing whereinto I sent it. The word of God will go forth. The word of God will prosper. In Isaiah chapter number 59 and verse number 21, as for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee and my words, which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of thy, out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, saith the Lord from forever henceforth. The word of God will always go forth. Also in the New Testament in Matthew chapter number five and verse number 18, um, it says, for verily I say unto you till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall by no means pass from the law until it all be fulfilled. In Luke chapter number 16 and verse number 17, and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than for one tittle of the law to fail. The word of God stands. The word of God is instruct is indestructible. So proof of inspiration, the Bible itself and indestructibility. The another proof of inspiration is its transmission, its transmission. In other words, the way that it has been passed down through the centuries, through the copying of the autographs or what is known as transmission. It's obvious that God has preserved his word by the hands of dedicated people. The discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947 revealed that the copies of the scripture that you and I are holding in our hands today is incredibly accurate when compared to the oldest known copies. However, with this discovery, we found even older extant copies that date back to the first century BC. You know, the scribes and the scholars who did most of the copying over the centuries took amazing steps to ensure its accuracy as they transmitted it copy to copy. Because you and I do not have any of the originals. I mean, we do not have the actual document that Matthew placed his hand on, or Peter placed his hand on, or Paul placed his hand on, or John placed his hand on. Instead, we have copies, and these copies have been remarkably preserved in their accuracy. Why? Because of the steps that the scribes and the scholars took to ensure the accuracy. For example, copies of the Pentateuch which were meant to be read in the synagogues 
were written on animal skins. These rolls were sewn together with a string made from clean animals and prepared only by a Jew. Everyone was to contain a certain number of columns and they were not to be shorter than 48 lines and not more than 60 lines and the breadth was not to be more than 30 letters. It was to also be written only in black ink. So I used to think only the military required black ink, but apparently that's God's preference as well. So they done this to make sure that each copy was precise. So they just picked it up. They looked at the columns, made sure there was 48 lines, not more than 60 lines in the breadth, not more than 30 letters. And they knew that each one was an exact copy. They were so careful with the process that in order for a copy to be considered authentic and worthy to be read in the synagogue, there could not be even one deviation. Also, no word or letter, not even a yod must be written from memory. In other words, you know how you'll look at something and you're copying it and you're writing a little bit from memory? Not allowed. The scribe had to look at each and every letter as he copied them. Furthermore, it was also stated that the that the copyist must sit in full Jewish dress throughout the entire process. He must wash his whole body and not and to not begin the name of God with a pen newly dipped or and, and to not begin the name of God with a pen newly dipped in ink. And should a king address him while writing that name, he must take no notice of him. Look at the respect that they had. The roles that failed to meet the above criterion were condemned to be buried, burned, and banished to the schools to be used as reading books by young students. <laughs> Look at the painstaking process that it took and the, the respect, the awe as they copied the word of God. If a king stepped up and called your name while you were writing his name, you were not even to acknowledge him. This method of copying continued until the invention of what is called the movable type printing press by Johann Gutenberg in Germany in the 15th century. And you know what the first major book to be printed for distribution was off of the Gutenberg press? The Gutenberg Bible, of course. And then fulfilled prophecy is a proof as to the inspiration of the Bible. The Bible is indeed a book of prophecy, and the purpose of prophecy is not only to establish the authenticity of the prophet, but also the authenticity of the source of the prophecy. As a matter of fact, the Bible goes so far as to bring about the death penalty for those who would presume to speak on behalf of God. In Deuteronomy 18.20, but the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You know, it's estimated that there are at least 456 prophecies in the Bible that refer to the Messiah alone. And of these, there are at least 109 of them 
that Jesus had to fulfill at his first advent. Some of these would include his virgin birth, Isaiah 7, 14, where he was going to be born, Micah 5, 2. He was preceded by John the Baptist, Isaiah 40, verse 3. His triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Zechariah chapter 9, 9. And the piercing of his side on the cross, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 10. And the list could go on and on. In Psalm 22 alone, it is prophesied of the darkness that would occur at the moment of his death, the mocking that he would receive, the piercing on his hands and his feet, and even even the casting of lots for his robe. The Bible is inspired. And then you can even get into the scientific accuracy proves the inspiration of the Bible. It has been said that although the Bible is not a science book, it is accurate when it speaks on scientific matters. I mean, just to name a few, in Leviticus 17.11, it says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. We know that. A man loses his blood, he dies. In Psalm 8.8, it says that there are paths or currents in the sea. We know that there are paths and currents in the sea now. In Isaiah 40 and verse number 22, it says that the earth is a sphere. And yet for many years, people believe that the earth was flat. According to the internet, there are still people who believe that the earth is flat. In Job 26, 7, it says that the earth is suspended in space. Nothing is holding it there. In Genesis 15, 5, it says that the stars are innumerable. Now, you think many years ago you could look up into the heavens and there are nights that you know you can walk out there and you could actually count the stars. But when the telescope was invented or you get out of that city that you live in <laughs> and you go up into Alaska or up into the mountains of Montana or Wyoming the stars are innumerable. They cannot be counted. You remember when the Lord told Abraham, your descendants shall be as numerous as the stars in the sky. I bet he had no way of fathoming at that time how many stars were actually there. In Jonah chapter 2, verse number 6, it says that there are mountains, there are canyons in the sea. We know that to be true. We have been to space, folks but we still have not been to the deepest part of our own oceans. In Genesis chapter 7, verse number 11, it says that there are springs and fountains in the sea. We know that to be the case. In Ecclesiastes, for example, in Ecclesiastes chapter number 1, it speaks of the hydraulic cycle. Ecclesiastes chapter number one and verse number six, it says, the wind goeth toward the south, it turneth about unto the north, it whirls about continually, and the wind returns again according to its circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. We see the hydraulic cycle in the word of God. The list could go on and on and on. Next time we get together, we'll talk about some further proofs as to the inspiration of the word of God, which include history 
and transformed lives. God bless you folks. Hope you have a great day. Remember that God loves you, wants the best for you, and is working all things out for your good.